Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today we're joined by Mike Audi. Mike, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Mike, and as you said, uh, I am the CEO and founder of a company called Tiki, where we're on a mission to help people have a say over what happens to their data. We believe the world is kind of gotten all screwed up and our data is at the center of it, at least all the issues that we face online. And the real root of the cause is simple. We as users have no say over what happens to our data. Um, it's really that simple. Companies and governments make choices on behalf of users and we're left holding the bag. And we just believe if you can get enough people to care about this and enough people to take an action, enough people to make a conscious choice about what happens to their data, We'll see a far, we'll just all of these problems will start to go away, right? All, you know, the screen time issues, the pitting people against each other, the censorship goes on and on and on. It's all rooted in data. That's really interesting. So you started a company named Tiki, and the goal is to kind of privatize your own data so that it's not just stolen and traded, you know, outside of your control. Um, what inspired you to start this company? Well, it's something I've been working on for, or something I guess I should say I was passionate about for probably close to 10 years, maybe longer. Um, my background is in building things with data. Um, my previous business, which I built, was all around how do you use data as a brand to engage a customer after the sale? So post-sale customer engagement using billions of data points around product touch points. So my background has been in data for well over a decade now. Um, and it's something I've been passionate about, about user data, because it's always confused me that we think of the issue as we say it's our data, but then we just let people do whatever they want with it, right? Like you would never just say it's your car and then let whoever wanted to, to just take it and drive it, right? Like if Ford just took your car and started, you know, renting it out to other people and then didn't even pay you for it, you'd be like, what the hell, yeah. right? So, but we just somehow along the way, we've lost that concept when it comes to our data, but we still refer to it as our data. So it tells me that people believe it, it, they own it, but they're not exercising any ownership rights. So I've been passionate for a very long time. Um, we started the company end of 2020, um, simply because we thought it was final, finally time that enough people cared about the issue, right? If you go back five years ago, only engineers were talking about it. You go back 10 years ago, only like data people were talking about this, right? So mm -hmm. it has taken a long time until we believe there was enough people in the world who cared, actively cared about it, right? Um, my parents started asking me like, what is signal? Like when, when that starts happening, right? I'm like, oh, okay, right? Everybody yeah. else starts to actually, like people are caring. People start to actually care about this. Yeah, so I'm curious, how does it work? Do you um, I, I read, I did a little bit of reading. It's like a data set that is monetized and anonymized, but can you explain a little bit about how the, um, actual like business side works? Yeah. Let me take you through, take you through this, the whole system because it's honestly quite simple when you, when you start to think about how it works. So you download an app on your phone and you can link whatever accounts you want to it, right? So let's say you link your Facebook account. And what pops up on your phone is a bunch of cards that look like Tinder that you can swipe left or swipe right on to make choices about what happens to your data, right? So it hooks to all of their APIs 
and it says, you know, would you like to turn off? Like, Facebook is currently tracking your face. Would you like to turn it on or turn it off? This is what they say they use it for. This is what it could be used for. Here are the concerns. Here are the pros, right? And we give it to, we give the user all the context for all those toggle switches and all those settings and all that stuff. We give them the context to make a choice, right? Like, we don't really care which choice you pick. We just think everybody should make an informed choice. So we're, we just break down all the information in a way that anyone in the world can understand what the hell's going on. And then we give it to them in simple cards that they can swipe on and off. And so as they start making choices, we're executing turning on and off certain sources of data in the background. One of the choices people can make is they can monetize their data. So if they choose that they want to sell some of their data, um, we believe in true 100% anonymity and privacy. So Tiki is built to actually anonymize the user's data on the phone before it leaves the, like their phone. So everything happens encrypted at the edge on your phone with Tiki. We don't have access to your data ever by design. And then when you decide if you wanted to sell it, what we do is we actually publish that using our blockchain and a graph database in an anonymous way. So it's, it's anonymized at your phone, then sent to our cloud, where then a business can query it. And if they query it and use it in their analytics and their research and their marketing, whatever, um, you get paid. So you get paid in concert. You get issued cryptocurrency, our own crypto, which you can then exchange for U.S. dollars. Think of it like a stable coin. Um, that you can exchange for dollars, and that's it, right? Like, basically, as if you contribute your data, as it gets used, you get paid. It's, like, real, real simple. <laughs> yeah, and what kind of data is that? Is it, like, browsing history, um, locations? What, what, is the, what, is, what, what is in the marketplace? What do people want? So, the... Sh- the short answer is it's all of the data. <laughs> Basically, any data that can be anonymized, can we can publish on behalf of the user. Um, and the user gets to decide two things, what data they want to share and with who. So they get to choose which companies or which use cases, right? Like, yes, I'm cool with ads. I'm not cool with the U.S. government knowing my location. Fine, right? Like, you got to make those choices. So the data shared can be anything, basically. Um, other than, you know, I had one person, you know, one of my friends be like, hey, I'll give you if you give me 20 bucks, you can sell my social security number. I was like, <laughs> no, we don't do that. So we don't sell personally identifiable information, um, but anything that can be anonymized. So location, browser, search, um, what YouTube videos you watched, what email you open, what emails you don't open, who's spamming you. And the reason we use a graph database is you can actually see how all those insights are connected together. So not just like, did somebody search this, but did somebody search this? And then what websites did they go to? What did they click on? What did they buy? What didn't they buy? How did they feel about it? Did they leave a rating after they bought something based on a search they had? Did they buy something? And then did they search something because they were confused? So it's the whole context of what actions people are taking. Um, so that's what's available. Um, the trick is actually how do you how do you distill that information down into a way that somebody who doesn't have a data scientist or a team of engineers can actually put it to use, right? Like that's where the real, real difficult part comes. I see. Um, so it's pro- is it largely unstructured data collection? I guess I, I don't really understand like um, it's how graph databases work. Okay. Let's start there because it's extremely structured, actually. <laughs> so the way a graph database works is you've got 
two things called the vertices, which are basically dots on a graph, right? Think of them as their two points. Um, you know, you've got, let's say, Microsoft and you've got email. And there is what's called an edge, which is the, like, typically I think of it like the verb, like what happened, mm-hmm. right? So you got two vertices, think of them like your nouns, and the verb is the action that was taken. And it's a line that draws between them. So Microsoft email, Microsoft sent email. And it's a line that connects the two of them. So a graph is just lots of those. So Mm -hmm. millions and millions of these data points, and you've got these edges that connect each of these dots together. And And we compute our edges based on the action took by the number of people who took it. So think of it like you can look at any point in time and see what, how many people did something and how many of those people also did something else. Or how many of those people received something and then did something, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all of, it's a graph of insights. Yeah, with the vo- with a volume component um, that shows which pathways are more often taken. If I'm understanding correctly. Exactly, right? It's all around, yeah, exactly. It's the most important part is to know, like, how many people did something, not just did somebody do something, right? Like, um, and it all came out of, we started talking to small businesses. There was one piece of data that was more important than all of the other data that they used. And it was ad conversion rate. So when somebody runs an ad on Twitter, they pretty much only look at one piece of information. Even though there's lots of information, they look at one thing. What's the conversion rate over time? I ran an ad. All right, I got 3%. Ran another ad, got 3.2%. Ran another ad, got 3.5%. All right, now that ad is the best ad, right? And so what they're doing is they're just A-B testing things and seeing how data changes in real time. So that's how you, like, that's what we learned out of all of this mess was how do you get it down to the one number that they care about, which has some number of users doing some action over some period of time, right? Like, how do you figure out I want to know how many people are leaving reviews. How many of those people are leaving good reviews about my product? Where do they leave reviews, right? Those are just simple numbers that you can track over time if you have the number of people who are doing it. Yeah. And so you're going to the source. You're going to the people and saying, you know, companies want this data. We will give you a way to monetize um, that data rather than them kind of finding it or buying it which is the current current ways, right? Yeah, we offer the users basically two things. One, you can choose who can use your data. So you get choice over which companies can access this data of yours. And I guess it, two, you get paid for it, right? So you get choice and you get paid and we you know, offer this nice, wonderful benefit of it's all anonymous, right? So we just believe that data should be anonymous, like... There is no reason to send personally identifiable information to a company who doesn't have the like the security training and like all of the stuff that you need to have and the teams of engineers and the proficiency in it. Like something bad is going to happen. So don't send the data there. What we call it, instead of sending the data to the model, we send the model to the data is how we think of it, right? So we provide anonymous insights for way more users and depth of insight than any normal small business could ever calculate and we take care of just all that for them and the user gets paid right that real simple like if you want to do this you can get paid um and you don't have to right you can use tiki 
just to change your privacy and just become anonymous online. Like you don't have to sell any of your data. It's just one of the choices we offer users, right? Um, it's one of the tenets of owning any product, right? Like if you look up the, um, the laws of ownership, um, particularly us in the United States, but this is, you know, it was adopted by like the whole world that basically follows these basic principles of ownership. One of them is that if you own something, you can sell it for monetary gain. That's just like one of the three things. Mm -hmm. So if you want, you can sell your data. There's no reason you can't, right? There's no reason you shouldn't. In fact, by, by creating an open and transparent market, it will force the rest of the world to be less shady about data, right? Um, we've seen this, at least in the United States, most recently with the cannabis markets, right? So as soon as cannabis was made legal and it was made... Um, like transparent and that there was traceability from, you know, what they call seed to sale. Crime started dropping. DUIs weirdly started dropping, right? Like all of these odd things in areas that were causes, they just started going away because there was a transparent market. And so use like the great thing about transparent and fair market is the businesses win and the users win, right? Users feel good because they're in control. The businesses feel good because, you know, if you're a business, the last thing you want to do is do something shady that will upset your customers, right? Like you don't – like the only reason they're doing these other things to get access to data is because there isn't an alternative. Yeah. So we just think it'll it'll bring like a whole fairness to everything. I really love, love that. Um, a really clear mission – um, about transparency and data. I want to move on and ask about, you know, let's let's say that adoption is very successful and a lot of people use Tiki and it causes some kind of a shift where we're, you know, society in general is moving towards data privacy and more data privacy. How would that impact paid marketing in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I'll answer it, actually. I'll start with it's happening with or without Tiki. Um, I would love for us to be a part of it, and I think we have a very unique value prop that's very user-centric. But even Apple's efforts are already changing the paid marketing landscape. Um, I like the, the most recent one at WWDC was that their email pixel tracking is out, right? Like, And Apple owns 40% market share on email clients. So... Basically, 40% of the people in the world who get emails, you're no longer going to be able to embed pixels in them to track open rates, which is the number one metric that companies use for both um, campaign triggering and for campaign for performance. So it's happening, right? Like user data is going to become more and more scarce. It's just going to get more and more and more scarce. And so in the marketing world, you're going to see the result of it is going to effectively be less spam. And you're going to see, I think what I, I think what I'm calling like a bit of a bifurcation in the market. Cause you can approach, if you don't have good data about lots of people or even bad data about lots of people, you can approach the market two ways. One, you can approach it from content is king. If you make really great content and put it out there, a really compelling advertisement or whatever, it doesn't matter if it's on a billboard or on a phone or in a YouTube show, right? Like, so you can treat it a bit like if you create amazing content, 
as opposed to spamming people with crap, um, that'll work. As well as I think we'll see a lot more of the digital twin concept where companies collect a ton more data about a, a much smaller subset of people. And then they use that to predict the behaviors of a lot larger of an audience. So, you know, if you collect thousands of data points about, you know, a select, you know, few hundred of your customers or a few thousand of your customers, you can use that data to, to effectively um, target market to the rest of your population. That is fascinating. It reminds me of a quote that I forget who said it, but you, it's impossible to predict the actions of a single person um, and very easy to predict the actions of a large group of people. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're, what you're referencing is that it's possible to extrapolate that behavior. Very cool. Yeah. And honestly, like, why would you want to target one person? Right. Like you're a business. Like who's got time for that? Honestly, like realistically, especially if you're a big business, you might have millions of customers. You Like what you want to know is where to focus your efforts, not like how do I talk to this one person? Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. I, I want to ask about data. Um, and the, it reminds me of a quote I heard from Ginny Rometty a few years ago about data being the new oil. And then several years after that, she amended it and she said it's actually more like sunlight. So uh, in the sense that it, data is renewable and it's all about how to capture it um, and store it. And um, which metaphor do you think is a little... Oh, and I'm sorry. And for the oil, it's because it's more about refining um, and that's where you extract the value. Um, so which mo which metaphor do you agree most with, or is there another one that you think is more fitting? I think they're both fitting in their own right, because I think all of the above is the issue with data. So let's start with people think data is renewable, and it kind of is, but it also kind of isn't, right? So let's think about the time value of data. So today's data is infinitely more valuable than the data of people's actions a year ago or a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, right? Like the value of data is most important in the real time. So as time moves on, the value plummets, right? It just, you see massive exponential decay on the value of data. So while it is kind of renewable because you can sift through all of the data from a long time ago, the value realistically is much smaller, right? Like the number of companies that would be interested in what behaviors people were doing a hundred years ago is far smaller than the companies that would yeah. care about what's going on today. So it's, it, it, that's just the reality. So there is a scarceness to it, um, but you can also recreate it. And if you properly store it, you can resell it, right? So that's one of the differences in, that versus like something like oil. Like you can only have one buyer of oil because it's a fixed commodity. You can have a thousand companies buy the same piece of data theoretically. Um, but there are the three problems that she outlined. It's capture, storage, and refinement. All of those are problems with data, right? Because capturing it is very difficult um, unless, again, you're a big tech company. Um, storing it is difficult for a whole bunch of reasons. Not only is it kind of expensive, um, if you're storing the wrong stuff, you're paying for like everybody just stores everything, and we're seeing that as an issue, right? Is but then once you're storing it, you're now liable, right? Like this is a big thing in in the business world is liability of storage of data. 
Um, you know, we've just, the news is just full every day of somebody getting hacked for something and it's, and they're all on the hook because they're storing data. So storage of data is a big problem. And then refinement is honestly like if you had access to data as a business, what would you do with it? Right? Like how would you even put it to use? Like it's a hard, hard problem to figure out what is the right stuff I should be looking at. Data is just bits and bytes, right? Like you have to be able to turn that into, Oh, this is my conversion rate, or this is the action I should take, or this is the, this is what changed because I took an action. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's really its own category. I don't think that, I don't think that data is, I mean, I'll keep thinking about it, but it's tough to find a metaphor for a, for a resource that behaves in a similar way to data. Um, it's kind of almost a combination of how we treat different resources. Um, yeah, I think of it a bit like for the last 150 years, we've been driven by money, capital, by physical like exchange of currency. We've been currency driven. But we're in the information age and data is like the new currency effectively, right? Like the world is going to be defined by who has data about what and when they have that data going forward, right? It's just how the world's going to become for the next several hundred years. And so data is going to overtake currency. Uh, it just will, right? Like that's how the internet works. That's how connectivity works. That's how insights works. It's, it's how you derive currency these days. Um, so I think of it more like it's actually the backbone for communication and for exchange of commodities um, in a digital world. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because data represents such a big opportunity for profit. If you could have advanced analytics um, in the 1990s, if you had the same kind of analytics as you do today, you could create any company because you would know where consumer sentiment is and things like that. And other companies didn't have that. They didn't have that visibility. So yeah, it, it really is like almost like a superpower to have the most data, um, which is, which, which makes Tiki all the more compelling. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I have a fun question. What does it take to be the founder of a data company? I mean, I I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, <laughs> realistically, all you have to do is sign some paperwork and stick your name on it, right? Like, you just need a name for the company and file some paperwork with the state of Delaware, right? Like, um, in actuality, I mean, you know, you can... The problem with data is, right now, I'd say it's kind of a bit like the wild, wild west. There are no real rules. People trying to figure out rules, but I mean, come on. GDPR was 10 years old when it actually went into effect, so... It's, I actually think the hardest part about building a company in the data space is building something like building a company that's new and novel in a way that won't exploit people. It's very hard to build a company um, in a way where it's all about the users and it stays all about the users as the company grows, right? Um, As you get as people invest in your company, they want to make money and that may or may not always be in line with the user's best interest. Um, so building an, an entity that truly stays, you know, 
honest to its core, to its values. Um, we stand by three things at Peaky very simply. User centricity, trust, and transparency. Everything we do, everything we build is around those three tenants for the very reason of that. But it's it's a it feels like an almost impossible problem um, at times, right? How do you build a company where the users are always come first, um, but that it's still a company somehow, right? Like it's a they they almost feel at odds at times when it gets tough. Um, yeah, so that's that's where I spend most of my time thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, that's quite interesting. It, it almost feels like that's how Facebook started. It was all about the user. It was all about connecting you with other people in your college and just friends. And it was so harmless in the beginning. And then that flip happened where they said, well, we have a company to run here. Let's see if there's any resources that we can sell. And then it just became an advertising company. Like it's no longer that altruistic connecting um, network. And um, you're right. That That's probably a big challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah, quite interesting. Okay. I don't want to put anybody on blast, but which companies um, that you know of have the best and worst data collection and privacy practices? Like what should we stay away from? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you'll know the answers, right? Like the, the answers to the best are companies like Signal where they don't have your data, right? Like the best thing you can do is have a digital service that doesn't have your data, whether that be because it's end-to-end -end encrypted or they like quite physically and literally don't have it because it's all done on the edge. So those are always going to be the best, right? Because, you, you know, the old saying is if you don't think you've been hacked, you've been hacked. Well, don't have like the only way to really ensure that you don't screw it up is don't have it right that's yeah. <laughs> that, that, so those those are always going to be the best and the worst are companies that are their business model is the monetization of users data without users consent right so those are companies like facebook and google right like because the way they make money is by the monetization of your data and manipulating users based on their data to increase profits. So they're incentivized. Um, there's a bunch of the, the whole movie, The Social Dilemma, is about this problem, right? The business model incentive for the manipulation of users and you through data is the problem, right? Like that business model is the problem because the whole momentum of the company, all the shareholders, everybody on the business side, of, basically everybody outside of a few core engineers who are in it because they, you know, really want to make some cool stuff. They're all incentivized to monetize users via their data. Um, and that's the problem. You got 20,000 people, at, you know, somebody like Google that are all thinking all day long, how do we, how do we make money by doing this? Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, um, you know, I'll have to have you back on, Mike, at some point um, to, to talk about Tiki again, especially as you guys launch. You're, are you launching soon? I, I looked on your website. There's a like a almost a beta test going on right now. Do you want to give the audience like a um, clue on how to get involved? Yeah, so we wanted, you know, I talked earlier about how I wanted to do this differently. So we started the company very differently. There's a bit of a trend called building in public in the tech space. So we took that to like 
a crazy degree. Um, and so we, we decided we were going to open source literally everything. So we published who our investors are, what do we do, our plans, our designs, our architecture. So we started the company in January by doing one thing. We just put basically a blog on the internet that said, does anyone care about this? And thousands and thousands of people signed up. Um, as of last month, we had crossed 100,000 people signed up to participate in a beta for a product that we're still actively building. Um, so we had a, unfortunately it got so big that we had to create, turn it into a wait list because there were just so many bugs and so much user feedback and input. Um, but yeah, so you can sign up at mytiki.com to sign up for the beta. Um, more and more is coming every week. We're letting more and more people into it as we grow. Um, but right now we're just focused on building a system that is open sourced, that is trusted, transparent, secure, and it just allows users to make a real choice about what happens to their data. Um, so yeah, I mean, come join us, join us on our Discord. You can talk to me, send our team a note. You can like, we're just normal people just trying to make some make some cool code. Thank you, Mike. You're one of the good ones. I, I wanna thank you again for coming on the show. Anytime, man, anytime. Awesome.